different changing in you this morning? Who senses already just, you know, less than an hour into the service, something has changed in your heart? Something has shifted. Something is changing. Maybe even unknown to you what that is. Something has changed. Does anyone here feel like a weight has come off them? Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Anything is possible in the presence of God. Say that. Say anything. Anything. Anything, anything. is possible in the presence of God. God wants to take some of you and rewind your life and give you back the peace of mind that you had before you got into that mess. Get you back the peace of heart that you had before you got into trouble. And I even hear the Lord telling me that he's going to add on to the years of somebody's life here this morning. Who receives that this morning? Take that from God. I heard the Lord say he's adding back on to the years of your life. Somebody was told by the doctor that you don't have that long to live or you had wear and tear on your body. God is adding back to you this morning. You say, why is he doing that? Because of his mercy and because of his grace. Because of his love that he has for you. Do you believe that? Can you receive it this morning? Go ahead and take your seat if you can in the presence of God. And you can continue ministering to this precious sister here as long as you want. We're going to get into the word of God this morning. Amen. Are you thankful for the word of God? Who's thankful for God's word? And you, it's an honor to be at the lighthouse, there's a very special move of God that's going on, not just today. It's not just today, just because evangelist Chris Palmer is in the house, although it's an honor to be here. You love your pastor this morning. Are you thankful for Pastor Jim? I admire Pastor Jim. He's a favorite of mine. I love him dearly. And I have tremendous honor and respect for you and your wife, Pastor. And I love you guys dearly. It's good to be in the lighthouse this morning. Let's take one more step deeper into the things of God. Amen. One more step deeper into what he has for us. Come on. You're here this morning. Go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 4. 2 Samuel chapter 4. I'm going to minister this morning. I was going to minister on something different, but the Lord... Excuse me. I said 2 Samuel. I mean 1 Samuel chapter 4. And I want you to go to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 11 as well. And you be led of the Spirit, and I'll be led of the Spirit, and we'll see where He takes us this morning. Can I hear amen? amen? I want one of the youth to testify before we get started about what God did in their life this weekend. Do I have a youth that wants to testify? Does something good happen to one of the youth? Who wants to testify this morning? Give me a youth that will testify. Or Devin will have to call him up out by name. <laughs> Come on. We're pulling you this morning. Come testify. He's a lie, right? You got a hungry house here. You better get up here. Okay, so I was talking to Devin yesterday at the water park and all that. And I told him that how, you know, growing up, you know, my dad, you know, used to beat us and all that. And now I grew up in like a really abusive home and all that. And, you know, we never really had the love and affection of a father. You know, I can never go to him and be like, Dad, you know, I'm having a really bad day. 
I just need someone to talk to, someone to look up to, and someone, you know, just to maybe to cry, you know, lean, put my head on their shoulder and just cry. I never really had that growing up. And, like, my dad would always basically just beat me down, tell me, you know, I'm this, I'm that, and just say, you know, all the names in the book. I remember this one day, you know, I'm carrying a cake back to the car after, you know, our party and all that. And he's like, and I drop and he just says, you know, you're uh he's like, you're a fag. And he was like, I swear, he's like, if you, you know, if you turn out like your brother, that, you know, I will disown you. And, you know, I never really had his acceptance and his love. And I guess I was always trying to, you know, earn that. I don't know how, but I remember that my first day when I went to college, we had a welcome week and we went to Chicago and my dad had called me and when I called him back, that was the very first time he actually told me he was proud of me for doing something. And like that meant so much to me and like that moment right there is what I cherish because like my dad never told me he was proud of me for anything, not even graduating high school or anything. And like I said, it was just growing up, you know, I, they divorced my mom and dad at four years old, and even then, you know, when we'd go to visit my dad, he would still be, you know, abusive and, you know, very mean and, you know, never really a loving father, and I told Devin that yesterday, and I told him, you know, I really don't tell people that. I don't know why, it's just I really don't, but, you know, I realize that, you know, that's in the past, and I've, I've forgiven him for that, and it's just something I, you know, have learned to, you know, let go and, you know, realize that, you know, it's in the past. Amen. Give God praise for that. Bless your man. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Come on, give God a clap offering for that. You can overcome any difficulty in your life. You, what did we talk about this weekend? You all act like you weren't here. All right, let's say it all together. What did we learn about? Okay. Let's say it one more time. Uh-huh. All right, there you go. We talked about having revelation, how revelation in your life brings forth authority in your life and how it causes you to access a life of power. How many believe this morning that if you are a born-again Christian, you should walk in the authority that God has given you? Say amen, somebody. You know what that means? That means that you shouldn't allow the devil every day to beat you over the head with the same problem and with the same issue doesn't mean that you should allow the same addiction and the same habit to overcome you every day. Amen. How many believe we have power and authority in God? Amen. That your life as a believer has everything to do with you demonstrating that power and demonstrating that authority. Somebody say amen in the house of God. Amen. If you have an addiction here this morning, if you have a bondage, if you have something in your mind that's broken, if you have a broken spirit, God can fix you this morning. Do you believe it? Do you believe he can heal you and set you free? Yeah. Go with me to Luke chapter 10. I want to say this statement. If you're writing notes, take this down. I want to preach a little this morning. I want to teach a little this morning. We'll see what God has for us. How many believe the word of God is important? Amen. Yes. Luke chapter 10, and I'm going to start where I ended last night with the youth. Luke 10 and verse number 1, it says, And after these things the Lord appointed other 70 also. Said he appointed. He appointed. Do you know what it means to appoint? It means to decide. It means to look at. It means to choose. It means to elect. 
It says that Jesus elected 70 and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place. Every city. Someone say every. every. Notice it wasn't one city. There's a doctrine out there. It's called predestination. Some people believe that God just picks and chooses whom he will to be saved. But it says here that he sent them to every city. He didn't leave one city excluded. That tells me that God loves everybody. Touch a neighbor and say he wants to heal everybody. He wants to deliver everybody. Point to yourself and say he wants to heal me. He wants to help me. He's my friend in time of trouble. It says in verse number 17, and it says after their missionary journeys, it says the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. The word their name doesn't just mean the name Jesus. There was other people during that day named Jesus. That is the Jewish name Joshua. The name here means in the Greek name or authority. It says that the devils were subject to Jesus through his name. Or you could say it like this, through his authority. Now, Jesus makes an interesting statement after this. This is where I want to start this morning. Is the church of God here? Do I have any miracle-believing Christians? All right, come on. You believe in miracles and power and signs and wonders. Some people say, oh, that Chris Palmer. Let me tell you, it's not me. It's the Spirit of God on me. And it can be the Spirit of God on you. And when you hate me because of what God does, you hate the Holy Ghost because of what He does. And you hate everybody else that's doing miracles. Amen. Who here has prayed for someone and see somebody healed? Raise your hand. I guess I'm not the only one. Amen. And He said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from from heaven why would Jesus make this statement that is an abrupt statement it's almost like he was he was just interrupt i mean it was a random statement it, when you look at the next verse it says after that behold i give unto you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy so if you look at this verse in verse 17 it says in the 70 return with joy saying lord the devils are subject unto us through thy name and it would make sense to begin at verse 19, which says, I give unto you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions. Look up here. She's just being delivered. Look up here. Okay? It would make sense to begin at verse number 19 and just to say, yes, of course, I give unto you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions. But he inserts this statement here that says, I beheld Satan fall from heaven. Amen. Why would Jesus... You can look up here. I'm going to wait for you to look up here. Look up here. Look up here. Look up here. She's just going to her seat. Amen. She's just going. She's just sitting down. Is that that interesting? I beheld Satan fall from lightning from heaven. Write this down. 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 The devil hates the presence of God. I want to minister to you this morning on reviving the presence of God. The devil, the devil hates. He hates the presence of God. And write this down. Here's the reason why. Because he remembers what happened to him in the presence of God. 
The devil hates the presence of God because he remembers that the presence of God was his demise. Y'all are being quiet in the church this morning. I remember one movie, a golfer was golfing and it was silent. He stirred up the crowd and said, come on everybody, cheer while I golf. And they didn't, you know what I'm talking about? You know, like a basketball player when he gets out on the court and he wants everyone to start, he wants the crowd behind him because he knows that when you get to everybody in agreement, they can go forth in victory. Amen. The devil hates the presence of God because he remembers what happened in the presence of God. He also hates the presence of God because he knows, write this down this morning, he knows there is no victory for him in the presence. Just like when a fish climbs out of water or jumps out of water, like a whale, when he gets beached and he can't get in the water, the whale knows there's no victory for him on land. If you throw an animal that can't swim into the water, he's out of his environment and there is no victory for that animal in the water. The devil knows that the minute, look at, listen, listen, the minute, the minute that the devil gets into the presence of God, write this down, he is out of his element. He comes powerless. There's nothing that he can do in the presence of God. That's why now he is trying to neutralize churches in America and get them from not having the presence of God. He knows that the only thing that can neutralize them is the presence. So he says, let's give them entertainment. Let's give them, you know what we'll even give them? Let's give them talent. Let's give them enablement. Let's give them ability. But let's make sure that they don't have the presence of God. Because he knows they can take people that have no talent. They can take people that have no skill, no ability, but give them the presence and people are going to start changing. Give them the presence and people are going to start transforming. So why did Jesus make this statement? He made this statement to let them know that what he was appointing them to do was to sample, if you will, what was on his life. Jesus, when he walked the earth, he came as a born-again man. Excuse me, he came as a sinless man. He walked the earth. But the thing that made Jesus who he was, was he was the first man born in 4,000 years, not a child of sinful Adam. He was the second man Adam. But here's what makes it interesting. Because he had relationship with the Father, it made him good ground, and he was God's candidate to put the presence of God upon Jesus. So what set Jesus above the rest? Was it his fellowship with the Father? Yes, but let's go deeper than that. Because of his fellowship he had with the Father, it made him the first candidate to have the presence of God on his life. So where Jesus went, guess what? The presence went. Now I'm going to get deeper on you this morning. Are we recording this sermon? Good, I need this tape. I'm learning too. Now watch this. This is good. This is good. Picture it like a movie now. Because we are movie-minded people. Here, 
The devil is Lucifer. He gets rebellion in his heart. I'm not going to take you through it. He decides that he wants to rebel against Almighty God. So he gets one-third of the angels according to Scripture. We all know this. This is Bible school, Bible stuff. And he said, let's go rebel against God. Now, this is what he did. He had the audacity to lead one-third of the angels into the presence of God to rebel against him. And he found out what happened to him when he got into the presence. So he knew that he wasn't allowed to invade heaven because he can't stand in the presence. That's good, but I just covered that. So listen to what happens. The Lord strikes him down to the earth. He hits the ground like lightning. So what he does is he tries to neutralize the earth and cast the presence of God out of the earth. Because he says, if I can't be up there, I can make my territory down here. So I'm going to make this my abode. I'm going to make this the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom without the presence. That's what he's doing to your homes. What he's doing to your house. That's what he's doing to churches. He doesn't want the presence being in your church. Give him everything, but don't let him have the presence of God. Because you get the presence of God, you can't be an alcoholic and in the presence of God at the same time. You can't be a drug addict and in the presence of God at the same time. You have a problem? Get in his presence. It will bust off you the minute you get there. It's one or the other. Your answer to your issue is his presence. It's not religion. It's not being boring. It's getting to where he's at. And if you get that, that thing has to go. Just like he saw Satan fall from heaven, he'll see your problem. So for 4,000 years, the enemy of mankind, he is ruling this land and he is making it darker and darker and darker and darker. Oh, you're not catching me. So Jesus goes and he comes to the earth and he appoints 70 disciples. What is he doing? He knows there is still an outlaw in the universe. It wasn't good just to say, get out of my house. He says, now that we cast him out, we still see he's on the radar. So you know, our house is secure. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get off my throne. And I'm going to go find that rascal myself. And I'm going to corral him up. And I'm going to cast him out. Why did God let the devil exist? He didn't let the devil exist. In his mind, 4,000 years isn't that much time. That's enough for God to get off his throne. He's a big God. He needs 4,000 years to take a step off of his throne. So he gets up and gets off of his throne and says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to find that devil and I'm going to go after him myself. So you have Jesus who represents the image of the Godhead bodily, and then you have the Holy Ghost descending upon Jesus, which represents the presence of God. And that same, listen, this is, think about what a disaster this was to the devil. That same presence that cast him out of heaven is the same presence that comes chasing after him. You want to know something? I got news for you. You don't realize it, but the presence of God has been chasing you your whole entire life. That's why you're sitting in church this morning. 
You think you're here because you're going to get points and going to heaven. I'm going to tell some people this and they're going to be upset. But when you get to heaven, there is no tally of how many times you went to church. God's not keeping track. I'd be surprised if he even remembers if he went to church last night. He's not keeping track of how many times. But what he is keeping track of is how much your thoughts are before him. He's keeping track of how many times you think about him. How, is he in your heart? Is he in your mind? He can locate you. He, can know, he knows that there's some people that go to church, but they don't think about him during the week. But he knows there's some people that maybe you slept in and your alarm went off, but you're thinking about him. Are you here? Good. Good. So when he appointed 70, what he was telling his disciples is this. There's going to be a day when I give you my presence in fullness. And when you get my presence in fullness, you are going to be carriers of my presence. You are going to chase down every devil. You are going to track down every sickness. You are going to find every person that's tormented in their mind. Every person bound in addiction. And what you're going to do is you're not going to bring them motivation. You're not going to bring them skill and talent and fame. But you will bring them something. And that is my presence. The same power that defeated the devil in heaven is the same power that I'm releasing upon you to take it to every city that you're in. To take it to every church. If you want it in your churches, you can have it. If you want it in your family, you can have it. If you want it in your car, you can have it! Write it down this morning. Write this down. Now. First Samuel chapter 4. The presence of God. The presence of God is your answer. The presence of God is heaven come down to you. But write this down more importantly. The presence of God has been known. To win battles. You know what it means to be notorious for something? Right? Notorious. That means... That means that your reputation precedes you. When someone says, there's that notorious so-and-so, that means that their reputation has preceded you. I used to have a friend in college. Excuse me, high school. Now, I wasn't even in high school. It was junior high now, I think about it. He was a great basketball player. And everybody knew he was on our team. And when we got to the gym to play the opposing team, they already knew his number. They already knew exactly who the guy was. They had already, they had already Pastor, been devising plans and plays to shut and isolate him and shut him down. Why? Because he had a reputation to do damage to the other team. That's what the presence of God is like. It is notable. It has a reputation. And the devil knows that it will win battles and win victories. First Samuel chapter 4. And the word of Samuel came to all of Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines. The Philistines represent God's enemies. They are the ungodly nation that is against the laws of Jehovah. Represents Israel's challengers, problems. This is a land that doesn't have the law of God. They are not God-fearing people. Actually, they worship Baal. They perform wickedness upon the earth. They are 
children of Belial is what the Bible calls them. Children of darkness, children of Satan, full of demon spirits, full of enchantments and witchcraft. And any time Israel or David and his valiant men went down into the land of the Philistines, they shredded everything. Amen. As a matter of fact, there was one time when Saul went down to challenge Akleg, the king of the Ammonites, he was also another wicked king that was similar to the Philistines. And Samuel the prophet gave him a word and says, Listen, when you go down, you make sure you kill everybody, kill everything, and burn it up. And they brought the wicked king back and they didn't kill him. He wanted to show his pride. He wanted to parade him around. And Samuel got mad and told Saul that the anointing was stripped from him. And Samuel himself, the prophet of God, pulled out a sword and shredded him apart. You know what's interesting about when you study the book of 1 Samuel and you see the people that were under judges at that time. They were pleading God to send them a king. The difference between judges and kings were that kings were hereditary. There was going to be a royal family and you would be born into that royal family. But judges were appointed by God. Do you know what that meant? Are you here, church? Do you know what that meant? That meant that at the time there was no possibility of a judge getting away from the law of God because they were handpicked by God to be the moral leaders of the country. But the minute that Israel shifted into getting kings, it meant that because it was hereditary, people could be born into the country and be full of wickedness. You could get a wicked king. You couldn't have a wicked judge, but you could get a wicked king. So you know what that meant? God had to rise up prophets so that prophets could be seers instead of judges. And there was, that's why it says in 1 Samuel, the word of the Lord was scarce in, in, in Samuel's day because they had judges that were hearing from God. Now God has to rise up seers and rise up prophets so they could be the moral leader of the universe or excuse me the moral leader of the nation of Israel and that's why when Samuel saw that wicked king he shredded him to pieces because he was saying this is what God thinks of wickedness this is what God and the prophet represent hearing God because of his presence I'm giving you some meat this morning so when you have the wicked king versus Samuel, which represents the presence, you'll see that wickedness can exist in the presence of God. Amen. Evil can't exist in the presence of God. It shreds it up. This is what the devil knew. He knew every time somebody that was wicked that got around Samuel, this is the result. It smashes your addiction, smashes your bondage. The enemy of God, whatever it is in your life, when it gets next to the presence of God, it breaks. Always pay attention to the clash when the presence meets wickedness. And you will always see if you trade it right, it will work for you. Someone called to my show last night. They said, why is it that I've been going through the fire so long? I didn't get into the details, but what I didn't have enough time. It was at the very end of the show. What I want to say is this. I want to say that a lot of the times the fire that you're going through, if it's a conflict that comes from the enemy, could have been extinguished right when it started. But there's a possibility, and you've got to be careful how you tell this to people, that you are not treating the presence of God the way you should treat the presence of God. You are not treating holy things and sacred things the way God wants you to treat those things. And this is what happened in 1 Samuel chapter 4. 
And the word of Samuel came to Israel. says, Now Israel went out against the Philistines in the battle and pitched beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines, they pitched in Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines. They lost a battle. And they slew the army in the field, about 4,000 men. That's a lot of people. Four, you know how I many 4,000 people are? That's a lot of people. And when the people came into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore, the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines. We lost a battle. But they recognized something. They lost because they didn't have the ark of God, which represented the presence. Are you here? It says, Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us that when it comes among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. Amen. Who were the elders of Israel at that time that devised this plan? Because this, watch this now, people recognize the presence when they need it. But if all you do is recognize the presence of God when you need it, I'm going to say it like this, you are unfit to handle it. Well, the church membership is going down. Let's just get a worship team in here. The church membership isn't the way it's supposed to. Let's just have a worship service. Let's just let's bring an evangelist in that hears from God. Let's bring a world-renowned speaker in. You are doing what Phineas and Hophni did when they had the presence of God. Phineas and Hophni were raping and molesting the people of Israel out of their money, taking things from them, not giving Israel their portion. They were wicked priests before God. They weren't mindful of God's presence unless 4,000 men had died. You know what it tells me? When 4,000 men died, the reason they wanted to win this battle was because their reputation was on the line. Their issue was on the line. So when it started to affect them, they were going to have to go back to Eli and explain. Eli, who was the judge at that time, he was going to have to, the high priest, they going to say, Eli, this is why things went wrong. We didn't have, it was on me. It was on my watch that 4,000 men died to the Philistines. So you know what Eli said? He said this, or excuse me, the, the elder said, they said, go fetch the ark. Go get the presence of God. Look what happened here. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout, so that the earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What means the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was come into the camp. And the Philistines were afraid. They said, God has come unto the camp. And they said, Woe unto us. Verse number 8. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Now look it. The presence of God had a reputation that preceded them. They knew that the ark of God had power in it. They knew that, listen, listen to me. The presence of God cannot fail. The ark, when the ark was in the hands of Israel, if they treated the presence of God right, there was no loss of life. 
That was Israel's sacred thing. But look what happens. The Philistine leader says, Be strong, quit yourselves like men, O Philistines, that you be not the servants unto the Hebrews, as they might have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. Then the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten. But you say they had the presence. They did have the presence. But here's the thing I'm trying to get you to this morning. The presence of God has to be treated and handled with reverence. You can't just pick the presence anytime you want it when you need it. You have to have it in your life all the time. It should have been with them before 4,000 men died. It should have been on their minds. They should have been making sacrifices to it. But they only wanted it when they needed something. That's why revivals die. Because the presence becomes about, let's get people to get healed. It's good to be healed. It's good to be delivered. But you're going to spend time in fellowship with Him in His presence. Revivals will die. Moves of God will die when all you come is just to be healed. What happens after healing? What happens after deliverance? You engage in a fellowship with Him. You should pick up the ark after you lost your battle and walk with it and say, I'm not leaving this ark. I'm not letting it go. It's the first thing I pick up in the morning. It's the first thing I set down when I go to bed. I'm setting watch for making sure the candle in the house of the Lord doesn't go out. Guard it. Guard that anointing. Guard His presence. It doesn't matter if people come to you and say, Oh, you're too radical. Oh, we don't need that. I got His presence. Guard it! Hear me this morning. I mean, I like the color of the carpet. I don't like where the building's at. I don't like where the pastor's at. I don't like... Do you have the presence? Yes. Then shut up and be quiet! I ought to be thankful you got a man of God that loves the presence. You don't need a famous singer in here. You don't need a $60,000 concert. If you have his presence, you have everything that Belleville needs. You have everything you need when you have his presence. Everything your house needs. Everything your family needs. It is here. Right here. you'll find out that wicked kings and wicked priests were the ones that didn't have a revelation of what that ark stood for. Never treated it right. Never took care of it. But what amazes me, Mike, what amazes me the most is what that ark was carrying was Israel's victory. What was, get your mind around this. This is very revelatory tonight, this morning, today, whatever time it is, this afternoon. The morning is not night, it's afternoon. What was in that ark was a peace. Of the presence that cast Satan out of hell, out of heaven. 
presence that Lucifer saw and encountered when he got up into heaven, part of that was in the ark. Scientists will tell you, I heard this, where did I hear this? I heard it from a credible source, that there is some type of force they have discovered that is holding the whole planets together. It's holding everything together. They say that they, they discovered it, they found it to be tangible, and they say if you can get a little glass of it, it's enough to power the earth all over for like millions of years. That is the concentration of the things of God. We get a barrel of gas. Can't even get from town to town with that thing. Go to Grand Rapids, you need a whole other barrel. Wheeling it out. $4.27 for this stuff. Just wailing it out. But the things of God are so concentrated. So he took a piece of the glory that the devil met. And he said, I'm going to give this to Israel. And any time the children of darkness come against my people, they are going to have an encounter with my presence and it's going to be a reminder to the kingdom of darkness that Israel has destroyed you in parts. Wait till I send out of their loins the Savior who's going to come and redeem us! Am I preaching to you this morning? Y'all like this sermon. Like, yeah, we like this sermon. Keep on preaching. So the devil's plan has been, I can't beat them in hand-to-hand combat. He can't beat you. The devil cannot dethrone you. He can't defeat you. He can't win over you. He cannot. But what he can do is he can get you to compromise his presence. How does he do it? I'm going to preach reverse of what the popular preachers are saying today. Now, I'm not on a bandwagon that we should be broke. I ain't on that bandwagon. Lord knows I'm not on that bandwagon. You don't need to be broke to be a spiritual friend. You don't need to be in debt to think that God's going to lift you up and out. Then I'm not on that bandwagon. But I will say this. One of the ways that the devil can get you to compromise his presence is with success. With promotion. Or he can do it the opposite way. He can do it with poverty. And he can do it with failure. He can use whatever he gets in his hands against you. Whatever handle he finds in your life is what he is going to use to get you to compromise his presence because he knows that his presence is what is going to cause you to win the battle. He says if you wake up in the morning and you compromise the presence things in your life, the victory that you've been experiencing will start to wane. What he wants you to do is he wants you to wake up in the morning and pick up the ark of God. 
But I, but I don't have any problems. Good! You're not supposed to succumb to problems when you have His presence in your life. What are you, what am I supposed to do? See, listen, listen to me, listen to me. The ark of God was not just to win battles with. The ark of God wasn't always in a battle. They brought it into battle because of what it represented. It represented God's provision, His heart, His will, His mind, His desires. Really, it represented His fellowship with Israel. And they would say it like this. If we're going to go worship, let's bring it into battle. Let's set it between curtains. Let's set it in a temple. But when it wasn't in battle, what was the proper thing to do? You go make sacrifices Moses had it in the tabernacle. David had it between curtains. And David wanted to make a tent, excuse me, a house for the presence of God. And God said, David, you're a man of war. I can't have you do that. I'm going to let your son Solomon do it for me. And Solomon built a palace for the temple or the presence of God, the ark of God. But here's the thing about it now. Of course, that temple was destroyed after the day of Malachi. You know, Jesus prophesied, 87, they came in, destroyed it, smashed it. You say, why didn't God rebuild it? Because the presence no longer needed a home in something made of gopher wood. Because when Jesus came to the earth, the ark was void. It was a nice relic. It was a memory of the past. It was an idea of God's faithfulness. But when Jesus came, he received the presence in fullness when the Holy Ghost came upon him. When the Spirit of the Most High came to dwell upon him, he wasn't the ark. He became the ark. And the problem that we have is... He, had, he, he appointed 70 and said, let me show you what it's going to do. You remember when the ark would go into the day of the Philistines? Yeah, we remember that when we studied Samuel. Well, guess what? You're going to be the ark going into the land of darkness, and you're going to do what the ark was intended to do to the Philistines. What the ark was doing when Lucifer met the presence, what it did to the Philistines, and what it's going to do when you go into Capernaum, when you go into Judea, when you go into Nain, when you go into Taylor, when you go into Belfield, when you go, the presence will do the same thing. It never lost the battle when you treated it right. Every time you do something in compromise, you put the ark down. Second Samuel 6, I'm almost done preaching this morning. I know we've been long. I will not compromise the presence of my God. I'm not afraid of anyone that will make me compromise it. David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel. 2 Samuel 6, 30,000. That's a lot of people. I went to preach in the Caicos Islands. They have 22,000. This is more people than the whole island had. And David rose and went with all the people that were with him from Bali of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwells between the cherubims. 
And here it says in verse number 5, And David, you can continue playing if you'd like, because I'm going to close in a second. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments, made of fir wood, even on harps and psalteries and timbrels and on coronets. And of course, it says, And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of the Lord and took hold of it, and the oxen shook it. So what we see here is we see, we see, they put it upon a new ark, a new cart. The presence of God fell a couple people died. David was mad with God because they were still not handling the ark of God right. They still, it had been so long since anybody had handled the presence of God, they forgot that God wanted intimacy. They didn't want him to put it on a new ark. He wanted them to have intimacy with his presence. But the point of the story is it doesn't end that way. They take it, they put it in the house of Obed-Edom. David goes and gets the ark because the house of Obed-Edom is blessed. And he brings the ark of God back to his capital city. And he dances and he rejoices before the Lord. This is what King David was doing when he came and became king of Israel. He was saying, I'm not coming back to my city unless the presence of God is there. I'm not doing anything without the presence. Uh, we may have got it wrong in the past, but we're This is the heart that God loved. David didn't get it right at the beginning, but it had been so long, but he says, we're going to get it right. And when the presence came, he was dancing before. When the presence came, you know what dancing represents? It's freedom. You know why God loved David's dance? Because it came from his heart. Do you know why God loved the way David loved because he knew that when the presence gets around David David knew it see let me tell you what made David successful in life David recognized the anointing wherever he saw it and he treated the presence and the anointing and the will of God the way it should be treated that's why he was victorious that's why when David ran into Saul, twice he could have killed him. Cut a piece of his cloak off, then he took his spear and his water jug. Two different times. And he wouldn't mess with the anointing that was on Saul. Anytime the presence of God came, David respected it. He reverenced it. He wanted to build a house for God. He told God, God, all this wealth I've accumulated, let me do something for your presence. Absalom tracked him down and hunted him down. His own son wanted to kill him. David refused to act out against God. Why? He feared God. That's what happened in churches today. When people stop fearing God, when they stop reverencing God, what happens? They lose the presence. And the people lose the victory. You can have His presence in your life. So Jesus, let me finish with this. Jesus told his disciples I'm giving you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions but don't forget where the power came from it came from my presence you now are a fit candidate to have the presence the Bible says know ye not that you are the temple of God there's no need for me to rebuild the one that Solomon built me I've already made you the temple of God the same way that the inner court was inside that temple, the inner court is your hidden man of the heart. It is your spirit. 
And the Spirit of God no longer looks for a house made of concrete. He looks for you. You know why? Because you can take that anywhere you want. You are a mobile ark everywhere you go. Taking territory for the kingdom of God. Stand to your feet this morning. Lift your hands to Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Let's just worship God this morning. God, we worship you. I want you to, right now, I want you to start praying with your lips audibly. I want you to respond to His presence because His presence is here this morning. I want you to tell God you love Him. I want you to thank Him that you're His ark. You're His ark. Thank Him that the presence, that same presence that Lucifer ran against when he came to heaven is now working and is alive in you. Jesus. Now, there are some people here this morning, listen, you have never asked Jesus into your life to be a Lord and Savior. You are unfamiliar with the presence of God. That means you're going to lose battles. If you're here this morning, you want to rededicate your life to Jesus. You want to recommit to God. You want to give your heart back to Him. You want to be born again and saved. So you can carry the presence. Come up to the front real quick. Come up to the front. You want to rededicate your life. Come up to the front.